Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, it is 1.19 a.m. here at Tennis Podcast Towers Paris, and up until about half an hour ago, possibly less, tennis was happening. Yeah. Because because tennis be tennising. This is the most extreme ridiculousness of the lot, though, isn't it? The fact that they're actually starting a five-set match at nine o'clock. Deliberately. Out of choice. Yeah, I mean, Madrid do this. Madrid do do this, but they don't schedule a start time deliberately for... For nine a.m., I suppose for for nine p.m. But I don't know. I I was I was, I once had a very traumatizing experience in Madrid where I was somehow standing outside a locker room interviewing Andy Murray at three fifty six a.m. Mm. Um, but but just but but this is the whole problem, isn't it? Because because this is so common in tennis, it's normalized, and barely an eyebrow is raised when when tennis slam. finishes at one a.m. and eyebrows should be raising that speaking of not raising eyebrows there were people that left Chatrier tonight after watching <laughs> I mean I'm struggling for words for for what Lorenzo Massetti against Stefano Sitsipas was watching a five setter between Massetti and Sitsipas and then queued to get on to Simone Mathieu to watch the dregs of Pablo Carreña Buster <laughs> against Gilles Simon I mean I gotta say is uh, having commentated on the the Chatrier match and walked past that queue I mean initially I did think what what are you all doing and then when I walked past Simon Mathieu the atmosphere was amazing to and and it, it didn't sort of and, and actually I'm so bowled over by the French crowds here having never been here before it's so much better than I ever expected it would be that I tell that to Alex de Menard <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay I could say that point but you know that High on the sort of adrenaline of commentating, I was almost like, oh, you know, that would be fun in a way to go and see the last few minutes of, of, of this You wouldn't moment. be on this bloody podcast if you'd gone to see the last few minutes of that, David. I'm aware of that. That's why I'm here. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, what was it? Simon was two sets up, then he's two sets all, he's down in the fifth, and he somehow wins. I do not, I mean, I wasn't watching it. And frankly, in terms of rallies it's not a match that really sets my pulse racing but but it's the crowd that the crowd here 
send things into another stratosphere that 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 I can't really think of too many others that I've seen like that. Can I just make two points on lateness and night sessions? We're into day four, and round one has only just finished. And we haven't had just, much rain. Just let that sink in for a moment. Yeah, it's, it's daft. Today's and... been so long, Matt's grown a beard. I've just <laughs> clocked it. <laughs> he has. <laughs> Takes me four weeks to grow that. And, Sorry, Matt, point and, two. Well, the second point is what you were saying about how normalised it is in tennis and how nobody or the authorities don't seem to think it's a problem Roland Garros has invented this night session, especially. Mm. That's what bothers you know. me about it. Now, obviously, at some point, the US Open and the Australian Open invented their night sessions, uh, but they've become so much part of the tournament, and they are proper sessions. You know, there are multiple matches going on. There's a buzz. There's a vibe. There's noise. There's people drinking beer. It's so integral to those tournaments, the night sessions. I still think they go on too late, but the period there between 7pm and midnight on the ground at Flushing Meadows and at Melbourne Park is amazing. Absolutely. I don't get why the French Open really have done this. I'm, I'm sure there are reasons, probably financial, but it's one main match and it's too cold and it doesn't fit in with the vibe of the tournament. It, it doesn't feel like the main event. Maybe it'll... It needs time to bed Maybe in. Maybe it does. But it doesn't feel to me like that's the spotlight. That's I, where the spotlight of the day is. I'm not sure I agree with you. Um, I, I, I just have a problem with the start time. Um, I mean, look, I... You, you have your own opinions, and maybe it's because I was in the in a nice commentary box that wasn't too cold. Maybe that's why I felt felt different. Why wasn't there a full crowd inside Chatrier tonight, David? It was pretty good. I don't know why there wasn't a full crowd, but I mean, it was it was pretty full for most of it. But you still because of the start time. Because if you what gets me about it is if the ultimate is a fifth set classic where you go to a finals final mm. tie break. You are guaranteed to be at the very least one a.m. Really, and that's just silly. That's stupid, really. Well, what we had was a a fifth set, but absolutely not a classic. Is is how I would characterise yeah. t- tonight's fight back from Stefano Sitsipas to beat Lorenzo Massetti in five sets. He was two sets to love down, and yet the match felt over. Very soon after he lost the second set somehow. Now, look, he didn't retire at four love down, Lorenzo Massetti. It is progress from his last outing on the Philippe Chetre court when he went two sets to love up against Novak Djokovic last year, then failed to win another game, retired after six love, four love, I think, in, in the third and fourth set. He's come on from that. But I would say, look, I'm a bit grumpy because it's one twenty-five in the morning and I really feel like that match probably should have been done after three sets if Sitsipas could just have, you know, found a way to win that opening set. But I feel I feel really shortchanged by Lorenzo Massetti. Well, I do. We, we, we I, feel really, I feel really disappointed in him. Well, we saw what he's got. But that's Flair. nothing new. Flair and, and no fangs. He's one heck of a shot maker. And, and to see him hit the ball like he does, he can actually out-hit 
sits a pass at his own game, which is quite a sight. And he and he did that from midway through the first set through to the end of the second set and established a two-set lead. And I remember feeling similarly when he got two tie-break set wins against Novak Djokovic to be two sets to love up. I can also excuse the third set drop-off. You know, I think that's not unusual. What I can't excuse is at the start of the fifth set, I said to Pat Cash in, in our BBC Five Live commentary, I want to see something from Massetti now. He should feel that last year was something that has to not happen again. And, I'll, and, I, and he might not win this, but he has to push him. He has to push Sitsabas now. He's 20 years old. He's a great shot maker. He's got all, all the, the raw materials. He's a young, fit lad. I don't see why he would not push Sitsabas right now. Even though Sitsabas had done really well, I think, to gather himself at a time when he was playing terribly for two sets. And he, and he tightened his game up and he, he didn't panic and he played well. But Massetti didn't push him. It was an, a total non-entity, that final set. And I think that's unacceptable, really. And, and that may be a bit harsh, but that's how I feel about it. Fang-free zone. Mm. Yeah, he, he, he is. He, he was... He, he was like a junior, really, and and that's perhaps unfair to juniors that have got fangs. But you know, he, but, uh, he, he but, needs but to this improve. Is, but this is the but but juniors do have fangs. This yes. is the old can you grow fangs dis- discussion. I mean, I, I've I, we had a discussion tonight on this sofa about whether there's something sort of something worse than having no fangs, like sort of anti-fang. That, well, that was how I was feeling about Lorenzo Massetti. He was in negative fang territory. Well, we, we, there was just no... I mean, you, yes, I agree with you. I forgive a lull at the start of the third set. Absolutely. These are the rhythms of a five-set match. There are lulls. Nobody is at, at full pelt throughout, throughout a five-set, let alone somebody with his level of experience. But there was no surge at the start of the fourth alone at the start of the No, fifth, he did a bit was... of a Rory McIlroy and picked it up halfway yeah. through and got a bit of a spurt on but... and then it was too late. Yeah, at least he's won four majors already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can ask Mary tomorrow, can you grow fangs? Does Lorenzo Mazzetti have fangs? I mean, no. We Sorry, Mary. Uh, the capacity to grow I'll happily chat it over with you, but we know the answer. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I think you've said That's it well. That's done with this I think match. You've said it well, on Lorenzo Mazzetti. I thought, I thought the end of the first set was a bit worrying from a Sitsipas point of view, in that it was very similar to what we saw against uh, Grigor Dimitrov at, uh, in Rome, where he was ahead and suddenly his game just deserted him, and Mazzetti took advantage. He did it to a lesser extent against Hachinov in Rome as well. Just, I don't know what it is. A slight. A slight lack of confidence, a slight lack of killer instinct. I don't know, but obviously he turned the match around impressively. But I did just look at that first set and think that's we've seen that before recently from Sitsipas. He needs to cut that out of his game if he's going to win this title, I think, against the very best players. Mm. But it was an impressive turnaround. He didn't panic, you know, and it would have been easy to panic. First yeah. round, such a good opportunity. Yeah, I thought he managed it well from that point on, but the first set was bit concerning. So Sitsipas won his match shortly before 1am. I think shortly after 1am, Gilles Simon triumphed in five sets as well. Not not early enough, though, to get himself a retirement presentation. Or actually, hang on, he's got them off the hook, hasn't he? Because he has. he's, he's gone and won. We, we had an alert <laughs> at about half past midnight saying 
Gilles Simon's retirement presentation has been cancelled, regardless of the result tonight. I was going to say, maybe they knew something we don't know, that he's going to get the win. Um, Which, had he lost and not had his Roland Garros retirement presentation, would have been rather sad, given that he had to participate in somebody else's retirement (laughs) presentation. Which was always probably going to be a bit more grand, frankly. today, yes. Um, Because today was an emotional one, folks, wasn't it? We saw the last ever professional match of the ever-popular Joe Wilfred Songer. And and look, he he hasn't been a force in tennis for for quite some time, has he? He's physically looked a a shadow of himself. He had the diagnosis with uh, sickle cell disease a few years ago. Um, He hasn't been a force for some time, but he's still been a, a presence somehow in the game. And he deserved... He deserved a send-off, and boy, did Roland Garros deliver. Well, first and foremost, he delivered, because for a very long time, he gave the, the pack crown inside Philippe Chetrier a match, a real match. You got to commentate, David, on that first set, which sounded absolutely electric against Kasper Ruud. Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't me who said it. It was, it was one of you or Hannah that he was giving court Philippe Chatrier his greatest hits in the space of those first two sets, reminding us who he used to be as a tennis player. And that is a marauding, swashbuckling, incredibly powerful, athletic, great touch human being on the tennis court who could just take the racket out of an opponent's hands. I mean, Kasper Ruud doesn't mess about. He's got a pretty violent forehand of his own. Sometimes he's been knocked back on his heels by the sheer brute force of this guy's shot making and it was just so emotional in that stadium the way the crowd reacted to him and yeah the the stuff at the end it it was perfect really I think it was one of the best I know it went on a bit but I didn't mind actually it was one of the best post career moments that I've witnessed and 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 he he called it I think the best moment of his career which is quite something one of the best moments of, of my career actually came before the the episode of This Is Your Life delivered by uh, by Roland Garros uh, after the match. And that was um, the singing of Le Marseillaise oh, um, by the crowd. I mean, it, it has been somewhat coloured by what immediately followed it, which was a, a quite bizarre series of events, but, but we'll always have that moment. I've now heard Matt sing along to the Le Marseillaise oh, really? full lyrics. Yeah. Yes, it is one of one of the things I can do is sing the chorus of the Marseillaise, and uh, no, I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, t- I tried, folks, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just felt like I had to join in in that moment. We were actually. Um, in a sort of studio, weren't we, when it started, and we ran out to, to be able to hear the full effect of it, and it was it was spine tingling. And then, so I've Song, never... Songa had just broken, hadn't he? So he he he, it was a set of piece, um, no, two sets to one rather to Casper Ruud, and it, it it looked all but done, didn't it? Songa was you know a physical shadow of of even himself at the start of start of the match, let alone his, you know, former peak self. And then just, just clung in there in the fourth set. And then he breaks to find himself serving for the fourth set. And it's, 
it's at that change of ends, at that sit down, that the chorus of La Marseillaise breaks out. And it, you feel like that was the prelude to sort of everybody settling in for an epic fifth set. Yeah, and it couldn't have gone in a more different direction so suddenly. It was weird. It was very weird. It was such a high, the Marseillaise. You know, everyone was emotional. It was amazing. And then literally the the first serve that Songa hit of that 6-5 game, trying to take it to a fifth, he popped his shoulder or did something to his arm or his back or... Something dramatic. Something dramatic. And you, you saw you saw him sort of hunch over in pain. And then the second serve he hit was was barely a serve. He just patted it over the net. And it was like, oh, oh, God. Oh, God, what's there, happened? There were groans after, after every, every ball that he struck. And, and then he, obviously, he gets broken to love. Then there's, a, then there's a medical timeout before the tie break, which he's obviously very regretfully having to call for. But he's just trying to finish the match at this point. And there was a wonderful moment of sportsmanship from Casper Rubin. He said, look, it, it's fine, mate. Take all the time you need. Um, and then, look, it, it was a seven-love Seven love tiebreak to Casper Reed, who handled himself just brilliantly in an incredibly difficult situation. Um, immediately after the match, they start, start setting up for this incredibly elaborate presentation ceremony for, for Joe Wilfred Songa. And then, and then suddenly they announce, and now let's hear a few words from Casper Reed. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you realise they are sort of going through with the formality of, of getting an interview with the winner. And there's almost a sort of internal groan that well there is an internal groan but it's almost an external groan for everybody poor Casper Reed, he dealt with that brilliantly he said I don't want to talk about the match I want to talk about Joe yeah that was the, mm. and actually in the end it added to the occasion it did because you you got somebody who has just gone toe-to-toe with the guy for for, for three and hours and, and a bit and has tried to to be ruthless and has and has succeeded. He he did his job professionally perfectly, and yet he he summed up, I think, how most of the locker room feels towards Joe Wilfred Songa. Those that have encountered him over the last fifteen years, I, I've not heard a, a negative word about the guy in all the time I've worked in the sport. Yeah, no, me neither. It's it's it felt like a fitting occasion. Obviously, it was it was sad that the way it ended but actually you know we got to see Songa impose his game impose the force of his personality on a match one last time which is something I always associate with him we got those sort of gentle words of his afterwards which always juxtaposed with his very big and loud game on the court Um, and actually I think I think I really realized not for the first time because of course I knew this but it, it it was became very clear to me today just how much of a big deal he is in France. You know, he is the best male French tennis player in a very long time, since Yannick Noah, you know, in terms of his consistency, his ability to win big matches, and they love him here. And there was a there was a kind of end-of-era feeling, really, as they mm. brought on Gasquet and Monfils and Simon. Obviously, Simon has already announced that he's going to be retiring Gasquet and Monfils cannot be that far behind. And Joe Wilfred Song is kind of the leader of that group. And it was nice to see them all together, but it did it did feel, mm. you know, quite poignant, really. Yeah. 
Yeah, very poignant. And of course, they brought on everybody Joe Wilfred Songer has ever met. I was su- I was surprised, David, you, you weren't out there, quite frankly. <laughs> I was expecting them to say, former media director of... <laughs> Well, if the Aegon Fever Tree well, from, <laughs> Championships, David from above, Lord. as you pointed out, Catherine Gilles Moreton, <laughs> yes, is it? looks a lot like you, David. Oh, does he? He's a very, very tall man with a combination of of brown and grey hair, oh. well, with with a certain sort of air of authority about him. Oh, okay. <laughs> as, anyway, well, yes, so David wasn't invited onto court, but Spitz. pretty much everybody else was. The, the the first few people they invited on was a series of sort of it was very very sweet. Obviously, people that meant a lot to Songa, but you know, it wasn't um, Gasquet. It wasn't anybody that the public would have known. And one of them, one of them had a um, one of them had a backpack on. I think they were his former coaches, weren't they? Yes, yes, they were. But they looked like they just sort of just rocked him. Yeah, and there was him. no sort of cloakroom nowhere to put their bags down or anything and they're just so, you've just got to go on now just go on with everything you're holding there's no like a fire alarm had gone off or something um so out they came and then his his wife came out and his kids and his parents came out and they did the video yeah andy murray participated in a retirement video which for is, someone else yeah which is um can, can i ask quite you, something. you both a question about joe Wilfred songer did he underachieve or did he did he fulfill his potential? Because I was looking at his record. He got six wins over, I think, Nadal, Federer and Djokovic. Um, and he got two wins against Murray. You know, I mean, look, he lost more against all of them. But I just sort of think, you know, Australian Open final, when he, he threw Nadal around like a rag doll in the semi-final, 6-2, 6-3, 6-2. He came back from two sets love down at Wimbledon to beat Roger Federer. He won the Davis Cup. He won an Olympic silver medal in doubles. Um, Masters 1,000 titles. Lots of Grand Slam semi-finals. But raw materials-wise, I know he had injuries, but what do you think? I think it's very difficult to say that he underachieved, you know, given the era he was in, given what he did achieve. I would point to one match where I felt like he didn't perform his best, and that was the twenty, what would it have been, thirteen French Open semi-final when he the one after the yes, Djokovic, the one after well, the no, one. It was the one after he'd beaten Federer in the quarters, and he played David Ferrer in the and semis. It was, the, the, it was the second semi-final, wasn't it? And the first semi had been. Epic. Epic. Nadal, Djokovic. Yep. It was an amazing Nine, match. Yep. And he came out and the and crowd was flat. Was as a flat. Pancake. And I remember watching was it with flat. you, David, in the media bar at Queen's. We didn't want to look. And and everybody commenting on how bizarre it was mm. that that match, came, you know, peak songer yeah. coming out, a completely, you know, as draws go, he's not facing Nadal or Djokovic. And it it looked, felt it felt it had a strange feel about it right from it the word go. It looked like go. he was on his own in the mm. stadium, mm. As, as though he'd been maybe forced to play the match in his dreams, and his dreams are of a deserted pandemic type situation in the Chantrier Arena. No one's dreams are of a deserted pandemic type no, situation, David. Bad dreams, We've are. learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only match that I look back on. I mean, maybe there are others, but that's the one that immediately mm. comes to mind and stands out. Other than that, 
He had a weakness. He had the backhand, which was a weakness, yeah. and the big four picked on it yeah. and could exploit it, I and, felt. And actually, that's what kind of turned the match for Rude because he kept on making this silly decision to run around his backhand and hit inside in forehands, opening up the hold of the cross-court forehand for, for Songa, and then finally he figured it out. Oh, I've just got to go the other way and pick on that backhand like the others have all done. But... Uh, just as a final point about Songa, he's always brought me joy watching him. You know, whether it's just the the awe of when he's on, and or, or just the look in his eyes when he's celebrating victory or he's engaging with the crowd. I I, I think a lot of him. He was a show, yeah. Songa, and he had the iconic celebration which you found yourself waiting for i was sort of waiting for it today mm, but then realized that, that was the only he popped hit his shoulder we out. didn't get yeah the only hit we didn't get on the real on the real today but my, my goodness what a career and what a man and um yeah it'd be interesting to see what he what he does next won't it um so that was on on Chatteret. it it delayed um Paola Bedosa and Fiona Ferro coming out they had to come out to a completely empty stadium Really felt for them both. I mean, almost sort of 2013 French Open semi-final vibes. Poor Fiona Farrow. You yeah, felt like her. she, you know, that match had been scheduled there. And at that time, you know, to get the crowd behind Fiona Farrow. And she didn't, she didn't get that. And look, she's, she's a shadow of the player that she, she briefly was during pandemic tennis. I saw a few games of that. There weren't many games to watch. Paula Badosa crushed her, but... She was missing by a lot, really, really missing. Yeah. And, and, big it, time. and it felt to me that Barossa was pulling her margins in today. Mm. I, was, I wondered how she'd handle the situation she'd found herself in, a feeling a bit anxious and not feeling really that, that good recently. Well, it seemed that she just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to hit the ball really hard, try and get my rhythm, but down the middle, more or less, and it well worked straight. Good match up for her today, I think. Good match to just yeah. find her feet and avoid a first round uh, banana skin. I want to head over to Longlen next for a match that we all watched a portion of together. Um, because I think it all ties in with the whole crowd thing, French player thing, where it definitely ties in with all of that. We watched the final set and a half of Hugo Gaston beating Alex Duminor, a match that went to a deciding set 10-point tie-break. I think it's the first of those in French Open history. I think. I haven't heard of an... No, I think Karatsev is... was involved in one a couple, a couple of days ago. Oh, was he? Yes. Did he I win it? you're right, actually. No, he didn't. No, no. he did not. He lost, yeah. Oh. Can't remember who gets Aslan Karatsev did not win this week. Okay. Um, well, anyway, one of the first. Yes. <laughs> we were lucky enough to be there. It, and it was one of those... It was one of those moments when you were in it and feeling it, feeling the atmosphere and witnessing it. I remember thinking... Well, obviously, we're going to lead the podcast with this. Obviously, obviously, this is the biggest thing happening. In that moment, it feels all-consuming and like the biggest thing that's happening in the world and has ever happened in the world. But, of course, it's just Hugo Gaston winning around at the French Open against a bloke that doesn't particularly like playing on clay and it probably won't mean anything in the bigger picture and it's just all about the moment. Mm. Yeah, and that's what I love about this place. That's what I love about the French Open. It elevates 
matches that on paper anywhere else wouldn't be that big a deal. You know, there'd be nice matches, there'd be good tennis and all the rest of it, but I'm in love with this place and this atmosphere. I, I, I could sit in those press seats near the court on Longlen all day quite happily and not move, you know, especially when the French players are in action. The, the crowd, I think it's the best tennis crowd I've, I, I've, I've had had it access to. I mean, and, and I, I know it's only just happening now, but it's just, it's like it all the time. Every time there's a French player playing, especially if they raise their level because of them and the crowd then rise to them. I mean, I was so gutted when I had to leave that match <laughs> because I had to go, go and do my job uh, go on BBC Radio. But, you know, you two were left with it and, um, yeah, I, I dare say the end was great. There was an underarm serve, David. Oh, dear. There was an underarm... Oh, dear. Not it was a... amazing. Didn't he lose that game? He Did lost he the game. He won the it? point. Did he? He won the point. It was, he? he was break point down at 6-5 in the fifth. This is Gaston, obviously. Yeah, so of course he thought now's the time for an underarm serve. He's and a funny player. He's, he? a, he's an inexplicable he, tennis player. I mean, he, he, when we arrived... The first shot he hit was a tweener. Yeah. Oh, that's it, wasn't it? When, we, when we'd arrived, yeah. The first shot we saw him hit was a trainer, and I thought... What are you doing? Oh, and, yes. And not a, a, not a, a running backwards, time. back to the net, you know, forced tweener. And Nick, and Nick Kyrgios... It was because he hadn't moved his feet after he'd served. Yeah, can't he, be bothered he, to he, get out of the way. He tanked that fourth set, didn't he? He, was, he, he lost at yeah. six love, and then he went three love down in the fifth. He lost nine games in a row in the fourth and fifth set and won the match. <laughs> I mean, that, that is bizarre. And yet that, that doesn't feel that surprising. When you watch him, he no, feels it, like he feels like he's sort of managing the five sets in his own way. Oh, totally, he was doing that. Yeah, he was he was managing energy levels. He was almost be fuming. I think. Well, he was very cross with the crowd. Was he? Yeah, he. he, he, he he said he thought they crossed the line, cheering his double faults as they were. And... Yeah, I mean, they were, they were, they were, they were cheering his double faults I didn't and like his that. errors. I and... didn't, I, there was one important double fault where they where they roared like it, like a goal had been scored, and I did think if I'm Dimonor, I'm fuming. And there was a moment where he was stepping up to serve, and you know the the crowd were raucous, and they were just quietening down, and just as he was about to start his motion, someone shouted. Quite close to the court, I don't know if Alex Dimonor speaks enough French to understand, but someone shouted, On est chez nous, which means you're, you're in our house. Wow. Which is. Wow, that is. So hostile. <laughs> that, yeah. that is. I hope up. he didn't. I hope he didn't understand that, but it was. But, but that is the bit as a spectator, I just can't get enough of. I just seeing these players be forced to go into the lion's den like that and and the opposite of what it does to these French players. I can't imagine how they feel. They, it must be the best feeling it's, it, in Alex Terrence. de Menor looked like he was dealing with it really well for, for quite a long time and then it was like suddenly the dam burst and he just wanted to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was um, there was a moment, I think maybe the penultimate point of the match, he'd, he'd made an error and a couple of People in the front row were heckling him, basically, and he just just gave them a sarcastic thumbs up. He had had enough of that stadium, mm. and yeah, there was it, a bloke in a Roger Federer hat heckling but, him. Yeah, yeah, you don't need that. But, but I mean, it was an extremely fun experience being on that court. I mean, and and both players contributed because Gaston was the sort of perfect amount of flaky. 
Yeah. You know, he, he'd served for the match twice and messed it up twice. But he oh, also... In, in one, the first time he served for it, he hit three terrible drop shots against the fastest, the fastest player in player. the world. There is so much going on in his mind when he plays. He's thinking, I'm sure of it, all the time. What shot shall I play now? What shot shall I play now? It's, it's incredible to watch. And sometimes he changes his mind mid-stroke. Or is it just literally instinct? I wonder whether that is a... a, a a split second thought or whether it's just a kind of reaction as though I think it's thought does he feel it I think he's having an awful lot of thoughts yeah he's he, there's so much in his game he's got so many possibilities mm. and he frequently picks the wrong one <laughs> but <laughs> when he gets it when right. he gets it right it's fantastic and Demonor and he's tiny he is tiny <laughs> yeah and I, th- and I enjoy watching Demonor play tennis a lot as well and he he's Different though he's he doesn't use his wrists he's all arm in, in his ground strokes and he he played a couple of bad games and not a particularly good tie break but it was it was a great great match when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It was um, a pretty good day for, for French players today. Gaston won. We've just seen uh, Simon win. Uh, Elise Cornet blasted past Misaki Doi in the mm. opening match on Chatrier. Caroline Garcia uh, beat Taylor Townsend in straight sets. So uh, decent results for French players. And Richard Gasquet won 
yeah. as well. I almost forgot that because it was held over from yesterday. But he um, picked up where he left off and beat um, Lloyd Harris in straight sets. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, the biggest casualty so far in the men's draw, beaten by Holger Rune, pretty straightforwardly. Yeah. quite frankly, m- made a bit of a go of it in the third set, took it to a tie break. The two sets before that, he won four games. Yeah, 6-3, 6-1, 7-6 it was. And he was pretty disgusted with his own performance, Shapovalov. He, he said, I didn't show up. He didn't give an awful lot amount of credit to Runa. Um, he said that he felt like he would have lost to most players in the draw. And, you know, maybe that's a very honest assessment. And he wasn't he wasn't saying that Runa played badly or didn't deserve to win or anything, but he felt like it was mainly on him. Um, and he did he did make, you know, some interesting comments in the press conference. Um, he was asked about Jamie Delgado and why he's split with him. Rob Moore asked him that question and... He gave such a vague answer. His his exact words were, something is missing with, with, with Jamie. Nothing in particular, just something missing. Okay. Clears it right up. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see, it, won't we? It, it didn't sound like a guy who had really thought that through to me. Um, and he's, he kept saying that Peter Polanski's helping him a lot. So we'll see. But... I'm a. I don't love that decision. It's it's not. I mean, without look, knowing the ins and outs, Holger Rune is a talent, and he's going places. It appears he's certainly having a good period, and maybe this is the start of something for him. So, on that level, maybe not such a bad loss as some might be in the first mm-hmm. round. But he wasn't really competitive. It's certainly in two of the sets, um, and and he's got. Wimbledon semi-finals points about to drop from his ranking. Mm. And, and well, he said that was on his mind. He said yeah. that he felt a pressure today and in this tournament to try and go far to make up some points because he knows that he's losing a lot and he's not going to be able to gain any at Wimbledon. And that was on his mind and felt like felt like it affected his performance. Yeah, he, he, he said, and uh, Karolina Pliskova said very similar comments, actually, although Pliskova... Pliskova went into to more detailed explanation that they both strongly opposed the tour's decision um, to take ranking points away at Wimbledon. But they both have massive skin in the game. Denis Shapovalov has semi-final points to defend and Karolina Pliskova final points to defend. Now, they both completely fronted up to that. They said, "Look, I've, I've, you know, I'm, I've, I've got, I've got interests." here and Pliskova was particularly honest about it but it was just a stark reminder that pretty much everybody that's expressed an opinion that opinion has pretty much fallen in line with how the situation personally affects them yeah and it's not surprising, but it is crap, isn't it? You know, this is this is ultimately. I know it's sort of extended beyond this because the the tour's decision is is a re- retaliation, and it becomes about the politics of tennis and the divided governance structure of of tennis. But ultimately, this is about war and slaughter, and so few of the players are able to look beyond how a particular decision affects them on a very personal 
basic level. And that's it's disappointing, really disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? And, uh, yeah. and it's what made Igor Svantec's answer yesterday. Absolutely. All the more impressive, yeah. really, that she kind of put herself aside, removed herself a bit from the situation and looked at it, you know, in her words, from a political standpoint. Mm. That's what matters most to her. And it's a, it's a disappointing of Roma. So often when sort of politics intervenes in tennis as it as it seems to on a on a weekly basis, I find myself not really wanting to hear what the majority of players think about it because unless they are the minority of players that make a point of being informed and educated, I don't find their views particularly relevant unless it's a matter of, you know, something really specific to to being, you know, forehands, backhands, all of that. On these sort of geopolitical issues, unless they're particularly informed and have a big picture appreciation of situations, I don't find their views particularly relevant, to be honest. Yeah, it's like a vox pot with people outside Sainsbury's yeah. on the high street. Yeah, absolutely. When they're talking I, about this really serious... I understand why they want to express them, but this sort of... I, I guess it exposes something, doesn't it? This sort of... We've had lots of players saying, you know, I've, I've, tried, to, I've, I've tried to express how I feel to the WTA or ATP and I feel I haven't been listened to. Well, if, if they're acting out of principle and what they think is right or wrong, they shouldn't shouldn't necessarily be listening to their players. Now, obviously that exposes the issue of, is the ATP, is the WTA a players' union? Mm. If it's a players' union, they should be acting in the interests of the players, not not out of principle, like a defence lawyer does for their client. Mm. Regardless of whether they're innocent or guilty, you act in their best interests. But, of course, you have this massive massive conflict at the heart of these organisations where they are part player union, um, part part governing body. But there's the PTPA, I hear you say. <laughs> I, I think the one thing, I, the one area I do, I am happy enough to hear their view on is when they are supporting the the players that they feel, in their words, have been discriminated against by being banned. That element of it, whilst... I I think that they're not... I don't believe that they're fully appreciating the wider context of the world, really. But I I can understand how they can look at their colleagues, contemporaries on the tour, and think, well, why why are they being banned? The points element, yeah, I agree. I I don't like just the sort of... The selfishness but, but, of it. But hang on, but hang on. The the answer to why are they being banned gets into massive geopolitical and philosophical issues. Mm. It it's a it, you know it's a it's one it's two o'clock in the morning and we can't get into it again right now. But you know it comes down to the philosophical question of can an individual be held responsible for the acts of their state? And obviously, I don't have an answer to that. I've done a philosophy degree and I don't have an answer to that. But unless you're you know, appreciating of those being the concerns. I don't know. I'm just... I mean, they can't be held responsible, and yet at the same time... They can be. I mean, well, well, what I'm saying is it's not not their fault in any way, but at the same time, you still have to make a decision based on everything, not just 
the effect it might have on individuals. There's just so much nuance to it, isn't mm. there? And it's, yeah. Anyway, Yelena Ostapenko suggested she might not play Wimbledon. Um, after she beat Lucia Bronzetti. If there are no points, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I feel like it's not fair that you can win a tournament and not move one place in the rankings. But she also said that um, she had a feeling the tours might change their minds, which is kind of what Naomi Osaka indicated yesterday. Again, I think we would all be surprised. But mm. went, the, the one thing that was suggested to me is that they might keep the points from last year, is, is one thing I heard. Isn't that just a, that just punishes the that just punishes a different set of people, doesn't mm. it? No, it's it, it does. We're talking no points, and there, and there was talk no of points. you know could there not be <laughs> could there not be a you know fifty percent mm. they keep retain fifty percent of their points, but that's just a fudge, isn't it? That's just ah. Uh, anyway, Benoit Pair also a, a post-loss loose cannon. He lost to Ilya Ivashka today. He told the French press, I will go to Wimbledon to pick up a cheque and play an exhibition. Apparently he asked to come into press. He wasn't requested. He asked <laughs> to come in. I so requested that, myself. So that he could say that. Um, uh, I understand. God. Wow. Let <laughs> me tweet it. Wanted an audience. I don't know. Had some time to kill before the uh, the Joe Wilfred Songa ceremony. <laughs> uh, what else happened today? Andre Rublev rather let himself down, didn't he, in the, his four-set win over Sunwu Kwon. Uh, he lost the opening set and almost got himself defaulted, quite frankly. He almost, by a whisker, indirectly struck a line judge in the head when smashing a ball into the umpire's chair. Um, and then proceeded to do some smashing of racket into the ground when he went to sit down. Um, look, we said this before. Men's tennis has a problem. Well, Andre Rublev is a good egg. And yeah, but he's a, he's a, he's one of the worst examples right now. Uh, he's just been lucky, frankly, mm. that he hasn't hurt somebody or, or hit somebody. I mean, if you think what he's done a couple of times has been not much different, for instance, to what Novak Djokovic did at the U.S. Open. It's just that. Djokovic happened to strike somebody, and and then if if the thing is with with Rublev, if he has something like that happen and he ends up on a probation or something like some of the others have had, is he going to be able to control himself? He doesn't look like he can. He doesn't look like he can tr- control himself, and I think he needs to to properly attend to that because it's uh, I can't I can't watch him happily anymore. He got a he got a warning though, co violation and and nothing more. I mean. The ATP they've they've stitched themselves up with the with the punishment that they dished out to Alexander Zverev for for his for his behaviour in Acapulco, haven't they? They've set the bar so high for for what gets even a sort of fairly mild punishment um, that anything falling below that bar can can only get a lesser punishment. He said. To his credit, impress afterwards. Obviously, he doesn't make up for it entirely, but at least he said, I lost my mind for a moment and I regret what I did. This is unprofessional from my side and hopefully I will never do it again. So. You keep saying that, though. I don't... I mean, show us then. Maybe he will. Hopefully he will. I, I, I like him. I don't dislike him, but, I, but I'm, I'm a bit done with the excuses, to be honest. Yeah, he's got some growing up to do, hasn't he? Uh, there was uh, there was some real grit from Arena Sabalenka late on Longland to fight back and beat the Frenchwoman Chloe Paquet. 
very far from her best, Arena Sabalenka, and she's she's been that all year, quite mm. frankly. I was, I was impressed that she won today, to be honest, because yep. she was setting a breakdown, looked completely out of it. She's got no form, no confidence to draw upon whatsoever, crowd against her. And actually, she was really effusive with the crowd in her on-court interview. She said, thank you so much for staying and for cheering so loud. I know you were against me, but it it meant a lot. To, to to be playing in that atmosphere so that was a nice touch um same goes a little bit for Simona Halep who did some uh, some winning ugly of her own versus Natasha Shunk anybody got anything on Natasha Shunk lucky loser well she got a set off Simona Halep today it's good going good going yes Simona Halep was asked uh something like what do you what do you want to take from this match or what do you want to do moving forward in this tournament? And she just said, play better. <laughs> I think um, she was not particularly happy with how she played today out on the Simone Mathieu Stadium. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just got to get through matches mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yannick Sinner was a winner in three sets today, as was Daniil Medvedev, who looked Pretty comfortable out there, didn't he, for a first outing uh, at Roland Garros. But his opponent was sort of half mummified. It was um, it was not really a contest on the physical front. Facundo Bagnis had his uh, one of his lower legs. It was like knee down, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Strapped I up. thought he was wearing yeah. a long sock. And then I thought, oh no, oh, oh dear, he's, he's injured. He's lame, as uh, Simon yeah. Briggs said. And yeah, Medvedev cruised. Yeah, a bit of an awkward, awkward contest. Uh, Sebastian Corder won today. Daniel Collins, Jessica Pagula, Francis Tiafo. Jessica Pagula needed 10 match points. Oh, crikey. And this was Francis Tiafo's first ever French yeah. Open win, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so lots stats. of very winners for, uh, for the USA today. Uh, very, very, very quick quiz through the order of play for tomorrow, folks. Uh, it starts on Philippe Chatrier at midday with Angelique Kerber, match two of seven, against <laughs> Elsa, Elsa Giacomo, the French woman. Then it's Alexander Zverev against Sebastian Baez. Um not sure why that's on Chatray for me, but anyway, it is Alexander Zverev against Byers. Then third on match of the day, Belinda Bencic against Bianca Andreescu. Yes, please feed it into my veins. Uh, and then not before eight forty-five tomorrow night. So probably first ball at around eight fifty-seven. I mean, yeah, they're not they're not keeping to these times. <laughs> no, but they've got to get the DJ set in, David. Oh, right. It's it's essential. Corentin uh, Mute against Rafael Nadal. We d- we learned today that Mute um, is a bit of a Rafael Nadal fanboy and that never never bodes well, does it? Uh, Emma Raducanu uh, kicks things off on court Suzanne Longlen at 11am. She takes on Alexander Sas- Alexandra Sasnovich. Mukovic against Sakari over there. Djokovic is on Longlen tomorrow against um, Alex Molchan, of course, coached by his former coach, Marion Vida, he said, he said, look, it's just another opponent for me, but it is the first time I'll have seen Marion in the opposing box and I'm not looking forward to it, he said. Mm, yeah, um, uh, I mean, how could he be? I, I think that's glad, glad he said probably that. the thing that would make him most emotional, really, if more or less, that mm. sort of thing, because 
he's ne- he's always been very clear just how close he is mm. to him, isn't he? Corder against Gasquet is last on Longland, and then over on Simon Mathieu tomorrow is where you will find Carlos Alcaraz. You've got Coco Goff over there, uh, John Isner against Gregoire Barrera, and then third on, Albert Ramos Vinulas against Carlos Alcaraz. And then if you want some more uh, one-handed backhand action, Diane Parry is last on Simon Mathieu against uh, Camilla Osorio. Plenty more tomorrow as well. Sloane Stevens, Dimitrov against Chorich, Taylor Fritz, Victoria Azarenka. It's all it's all happening, folks. And of course, we'll be back with another daily podcast tomorrow. Uh, we have our very, very important mascots. We have Cooper, the cat. Not sure who's looking after Cooper because uh, his owners are here in Paris. That's right, yeah, Drew and David. Cooper's just out on the town, sort of Macaulay Culkin style. <laughs> Resourceful. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Cooper. Getting into hijinks. Um, we have our own mascots. I've got uh, Carter. David's got Darwin. Right, Darwin. Matt's got uh, the dearly departed Gerald the Cat. Uh, Billy Jean has Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our... Executive producers and top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And we have shout outs, Matt. We do. We have Stuart Murphy in Belfast. Oh, Stuart. Like Murphy Jensen, one of the two Jensen brothers. Have we ever had a Stuart as a tennis player? I can't think of one. There was a guy at Queen's last year called Stuart Parker. There was. Because I because I remember thinking it was a bit He's like from Scott Jersey. Parker. He's from Jersey. Mm. This is good knowledge. Yeah, I bet Stuart Murphy could beat him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. Yeah, for support. We also have Kateri Swavely from oh. Eastern Pennsylvania. Wow. Oh, East? Not a specific town, just a region. No, I think maybe the town is Eastern. Oh, okay. Pennsylvania is right. where the office is based. Yeah, Scranton. As in, is it Eastern, comma, Pennsylvania? Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It's Eastern, comma, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Okay. A city. How fun. Um, Everywhere's a city in America, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a city in Pennsylvania like with a population Putney would of 26,800 in the 2010 census. In the goal <laughs> of calling yourself a city when you've got 26... Yeah. Paul, Redding, Paul Red, Redding. Redding's been trying to be a city for the oh, for the past few decades. I was reading about that. Mm. Mm. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for being our friend. Yes, thank you. And final one tonight is Moshi Gitlis. From Ooh. Tel Aviv, and Moshi says Jimmy Connors won his last title at ATP Tel Aviv wow. in 1989, and I was a ball boy at that tournament. Wow, love that. That's so cool, Moshi. You are. I like the name Moshi as well. Very good. Brilliant. Love that. Love these little little bits of background. Mm, they're good, aren't they? Mm, really like it. So uh, thank you, Moshi. Thank you to. To all of our shout-outs today, thank you to all friends of the Tennis Podcast who have helped us to be here in Paris, recording podcasts at 2am. There is nowhere else we would rather be. Matt's, uh, Matt's still got a newsletter to get out, so make sure you subscribe to the newsletter to, for all his hard work not to go to waste. 
um make sure you what else should people do leave us a, an apple podcasts review that's a thing that you could do yeah, tell your friends all tell about your the pod. friends and follow us on instagram we'd love to get to ten thousand. we would oh that a rare bit of bit of unashamed promo there from Matt. Well, just saying. We're yeah. saying. We're you can do in. extra things We're when you get to 10,000. Yeah. And, and Catherine's good at Instagram yeah. stories, I'm telling you. Very good. We're closing in, folks. Um, yeah, do all of those things and uh, tune in tomorrow because we, we'll be back with another podcast. We'll speak to you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.